All right, in keeping with our missions emphasis from last week's missions conference, uh, we are interviewing Paige Lewis, who is one of the missionaries that we support here at Grace. So, Paige, would you come on up? How about a hand for Paige? Uh, some of you may know Paige's dad and stepmom, Ron and Rita Lewis, here at Grace. I know at least one of my kids has had Rita in class in Sunday school. Paige's mom, Judy. Uh, was here for years, but is now a member at Harvest and is actually Cindy Shriver's roommate. So uh, those of you who know Cindy, Paige grew up here at Grace uh, and for the last two years has been serving as a missionary in West Bengal, India. So we want to hear all about that. But before we do, uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about your life growing up and kind of how you came to know the Lord? Okay. First of all, when Justin... Tech, or emailed me and asked me to speak. I thought it was going to be like 12 people. <laughs> so I'm like, not speaking in front of big groups makes me so nervous. So y'all pray for me as I'm speaking that God might um, say what he wants to say. And I'm not so nervous. But um, yeah, so many faces I remember from my childhood. Good to see y'all again. Um, I was raised here at Gracie Van. And then let's see. Yeah, my parents split. They divorced when I was in eighth grade. And so probably two years prior to that, I was kind of seeing the two paths I could take, which would be my own or my, my idea of God's at the time, which was totally wrong. Um, and, and yeah, I definitely decided to take my own path, at least in my heart, I was taking steps in that direction. And so when my parents split, it was just a way for me to do whatever I wanted because um, my mom is a flight attendant and my dad was alone. And so I turned up, as the kids call it these days, in high school. And um, and then I was at St. George's, and that didn't work out. And so my parents put me in a homeschool program where I only got connected to more misfits, um, which some were at a place I was working called Nukes. Raise your hand if you like Nukes. It's good, right? They have great food. And so during the day, I got connected to an older crowd that was working there. And that was the first time I was exposed pretty heavily to other religions. And so a lot of these guys were hostile towards Christianity and not in, a, not in an unintelligent way. Some of them had read the Bible up to three or four times and their arguments against Christianity were legitimate. And I listened. And um, I, I stand to this day that regardless of all the camps I went to here and all the times I probably heard the gospel, I was not born again. I did not submit to Jesus. It's not to say that he didn't present himself to me, but I did not submit to him. And so um, when I was exposed to what is called in the religious realm, new age spirituality, which is really just self-worship because it's get in touch with who you really are. Um, live to the fullest, express yourself, embrace life, which all of these things are from Jesus, but are of their, they're a pseudo form of the true gospel, which is when you submit to God and when you lose your life and you find it instead of when you self-focus and are obsessed with yourself and try to find yourself, you end up killing yourself because you're obsessed with yourself. And so, but at the time I was totally sucked into it. And, um, and yeah, I think too that, you know, my parents' divorce and some of the, some of even uh, the, the struggles of, of this church, which we're not going to lie, whether you're in an all-black church in Binghampton or in an all-white church in East Memphis, like, there's struggles. And so my mind was wrestling with, 
why did the church I grew up at look one way? And why did they all seem to fit into one square? And those were things that were legitimately in my heart, even as an unbeliever. And what about the poor? And, you know, what about the people that have never heard the gospel? And so all of those things were in my heart. And in college, there came a day where I and all of my sin just reaped on my shoulders and I had serious anxiety. And so I began. And you said it this time, uh-huh. sorry to interrupt. No, but go you for were it. kind of seeking. I mean, this Eastern religion, New Age stuff, you're really seeking healing through this. I mean, there's a lot of kind of pain in your life, and you're lost Mm -hmm. seeking a way to help yourself. Yeah, absolutely. So when I started experiencing anxiety, I started seeking healing and started out like, I'm going to do yoga, I'm going to eat all organic food, I'm going to read good books, and, and so I tried to heal myself, and it wasn't working, and so back uh, in high school, I had met a lady who was so bright. I mean, she was so anointed with the Lord. And she looked at me one day and she was like, when you're ready, you just say, God, reveal yourself to me. And out, out of all the theology I'd heard at Gracie Van, like, this is what I remembered. And so there was a day when I was in my room and I was like, if you're real, reveal yourself to me. And that same week, my roommate at the time, which was a, like a, really funky artist at the University of Memphis showed me this video of a little girl who could paint like a professional, but she had never been trained. You know, it's kind of like a phenomenon. It was a little corny, but at the end of the video, they said, who taught you to do this? She looked at the camera and she said, Jesus. And when I heard his name, the atmosphere of the room shifted and I encountered the presence of God. And so I thought it was a little interesting, but um, was pretty stubborn and didn't immediately, you know, think that, that Jesus was the true God or that the Bible was legitimate. But that started me on a journey of nine months where I was still reading books on meditation. I was still practicing yoga. And I did drugs at the time, too. I mean, I was, I was kind of a hippie. And so I, I took LSD and mushrooms and went to fish concerts and so there was that life, but I was also getting a hold of literature like The Pursuit of God by A.W. Tozer, which if you all have not read that, it is so powerful. And, you know, I found a hold of my brother's Bible, like tucked away at my mom's house. And, and just time and time again, I would experience that, that weight of glory that God presses on us when we read his word. And it began to be contrasted with all the other things I was doing. And I slowly started to ask God some of those questions in my heart. And I started getting answers as I was reading the word. And there came a few moments where I realized that my concept of Jesus was false. That I, I had an image of God that was kind of fluffy. And so I was going back and forth in between this world and the potential to follow Jesus not really taking Jesus seriously and maybe going back on my word and saying like, well, I'm going to go, I'm going to do drugs again, but it's okay. And, um, yeah, like Jesus had mercy, but more than that, really what, I don't even remember if I talked to you about this. I saw that he was, was fierce, that he isn't some guy on a hill saying, blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of God. But you, you read the book of Hosea you, you know, you look at Jesus saying, like, you, if you want to be my disciple, then you're not going to have a home, and you're not going to bury your father. And that, that fierce, jealous love of Jesus, that captivated me. 
the fact that he wasn't going to let me waver between him and something else, the fact that he wanted all of me, um, which intimidated me in the beginning because I, I saw it as as people cl- clinging together, you know, wanting to be, um, just wanting to be together for the sake of being together, not because they stood for something. But when I really started reading scripture and seeing um, that he earned my love with his blood, um, you know, that's, there was a, a point where I realized lordship. And so I know that sounds kind of confusing, but it was. It was nine months of me going here and going there and wavering back and forth and then finally realizing, like, it's him or nothing. Um, he won't have it any other way. And so I submitted to Jesus, and at some point I, I was born again. I looked back on my journals. I was articulating the gospel, but it was a really rough and dark period of my life, and so I can't really you know, bullet point you perfectly, but, um, but he revealed himself to me and he revealed that he had died for me and that I couldn't heal myself. And if I would follow him wholeheartedly, full surrender, that he would do things with my life I couldn't imagine. So that was when I was a freshman in college. It's interesting. You know, a lot of people in here were probably converted as children, which Mm -hmm. we praise God for. And that's one of the ways that he works out his salvation generationally. But for any that have had adult conversions, you might also experience, you know, most people are like, it was great, but it was dark, you know, yeah. and there's a death involved. And that's, uh, I experienced something similar. I mean, I just think that that's, especially if we're going to see adult converts, as we're talking at the ladies event about sexual sin. I mean, a lot of this for people is they feel the death part. Like we die with Christ and we're risen with him, but there is a dying and it is dark. What, what other? So at this point, you're a freshman at Memphis, right? Uh-huh. And so you're a freshman, you're going through this dark period, but you're, the Lord is you know, revealing himself as faithful to you after mm-hmm. all these years. Mm-hmm. So, what, I mean, what, what, what was significant after that in your freshman year? Was there somebody mm-hmm. you were living with, somebody in, in college? Because I know a lot of us in here, uh, I know for myself, I was converted in college. Mm-hmm. And so college is a an incredible time. I mean, I grew up in the church, mm. and, and boom, I'm faced with my sin, and so God can do something in college. So what was he doing at that time? Who did he bring into your life? Yeah, well, um, I didn't have any Christian friends. Like, my conversion was me, the Bible, and the Holy Spirit, and then the seeds that were planted in my heart here when I was young. Um, and so all my friends were lost, and as lost as lost can get, and but I was real, um, I don't want to use the word timid, but I'll even say judgmental towards Christians. Um, even as it, even though I experienced Jesus and submitted to him, um, I was still kind of like, which ones are the goats and which ones are the sheep? And who can I trust? And who knows Jesus like I do? And there was a lot of confusion, but I just prayed about it and said, like, send me people who really love you. And um, which many people that I thought, didn't love God, actually loved God, but my heart was just needing some healing. And so I was out to eat one night with my friends, like my group of, of lost friends, and we were at a Mexican restaurant, and there was a girl who was invited by one of my friends that she knew from high school. So she wasn't a regular girl in our group. And um, Emily Hendricks, do you know Emily Hendricks? And so um, she was so bright and so quirky and so funny, and she was sitting next to me, and at some point in the dinner, we went outside, and she um, she had mentioned something about God, and I was like, you know, oh my gosh, and started t- telling her my story. And long story short, she was involved in a campus ministry called Campus Outreach, and 
her and another girl named Sarah McDuffie at the time. Now she's married. But um, they were getting a house, and they hung out with me. They invited me to come and, and hang out with them and then eventually asked me to live with them. And so I started living with these girls and getting plugged in what's called CO, so campus ministry that reaches out to college students. Mm-hmm. And then at some point you met Soup Campbell. Mm-hmm. Some of you may know Soup if you've been a part of Downline. I think he's still pretty involved there. But mm-hmm. he was doing like a gospel sharing training program or something like that. Yeah. So tell us about that. So it's not Soup, actually. It's one of Soup's disciples. Okay. And his name is Ron Surgeon. And so Ron Surgeon was discipled by Soup. And Ron works at a church, a non-denominational church in Midtown called Renewal. Um, but his heart is for the lost. He's totally an apostle, wants to see the gospel go forth. And was, I think, at a, um, pretty sure that he was in South America and heard um, about a church planting process that they were using called T for T, which stands for Trainers for Trainers. And, um, and so when he heard about this, he wanted to bring it back to Memphis. And so in his own network of friends and people throughout the Christian community he was connected to, he started training in some of these these tools that um, help people reach out to the lost, um, help people reach out to the lost, help them follow up as they are new believers, and then help them form into new communities. So got trained in that. Mm-hmm. So tell us about your time. Um not to jump ahead, but yeah. when you lived and worked in Bing, in Binghampton. Yeah, okay, so um, around the same time I was getting trained in that stuff, I wanted to move into a lower-income neighborhood. It was on my heart in college to live in a place like Orange Mount or Binghampton. And so I prayed about it and got an open door. Another lady was also doing the same thing, and I was connected to her. So I moved into the community, lived in Binghamton, and some of those tools of just starting conversations with people and getting to the gospel. And um, even more than that, Jesus says the harvest is plentiful. And so looking for those people that God is already working on, I started implementing some of those concepts in Scripture we see in Binghamton. And then also got a job as a PE teacher at Binghamton Christian Academy, um, which is a small private school in Binghamton. Um, so I worked I worked in the community, I lived in the community, and was uh, trying to make disciples in the community. So I remember you saying that just towards the end of that time, you mm-hmm. just began, you started getting restless, mm-hmm. like, Lord, what, do you, what will you have for me? Because I think a lot of us in here can probably identify with that, right? Mm-hmm. We're, we're, whether it's job-related or whatever it is, you know, we just kind of have this restlessness where we know, we feel like the Lord is preparing us for something. So kind of, how did you work through that? I mean, the, the restlessness part um, of, of being at Binghamton, mm-hmm. working there, and knowing that the Lord was about to do something. Yeah. Um, well, uh, I was, I prayed. That's what I did. I, I knew that it didn't seem like my career path was a PE teacher. You know, it was kind of just a place what's felt and seemed like preparation. And so um, I don't know even at the time what I imagined that next step was. But I started listening to David Platt's Radical, which is a podcast, and he exposes the reality of what's called unengaged, unreached people groups, um, which are a a people group is is considered an ethno-linguistic group, which means they speak the same language, they have the same culture. 
and globally there's about 12,000 people groups that people that eat the same food live in the same place maybe but definitely it, it'll be most about language um, because you might go to India and, and they might speak Hindi but then they have a, a village tongue which might be Bengali and then it might be even a smaller tongue amongst the family so there's like 6,000 languages in, in India and so all that to say I just started becoming aware of the concept of unreached unengaged people groups that there are 6,000 that are unreached that means 2% um, or less Christian um, and even further than that there's 3,000 out of that 6,000 that are completely unengaged so the billions of funds and the billions of Christians that are in the world, there's people that still haven't heard the gospel. And so through this, um, yeah. through this restlessness and learning about UPGs uh-huh. and unengaged, you met a couple uh-huh. uh, who were st- um, it started Four Fields in India, right? Yes, which Four Fields is the church planting process that I had been trained in, just so they know. So it's kind of like T4T, uh-huh. a little different yeah. in India. They're kind of merged. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so... Somehow you're just, I mean, you're going to go to India. How did that come about? Sure. So I, as I was applying some of these, these principles from scripture about reaching the lost, sharing the gospel with them, discipling new believers, forming them into communities, um, I wanted to connect with other people in the States that were learning and growing in these, in these concepts like I was. And so I flew to Austin, Texas, where a couple was, um, yeah, they were seeing a lot of fruit. They were seeing a lot of people give their lives to the Lord, and um, I wanted to study under them. And so I went a few weekends in a row just to get to know them and introduce myself to them. And then probably about a month after that, they called me and said, hey, we have a community of missionaries in India, in West Bengal, India, who work together and they started a homeschool co-op for their kids and they're looking for three ladies to come and teach at the homeschool co-op and then outside of that um they they'll they'll be mentored and in different concepts of of missions so so you get to serve the kids but then uh, you're really going as a missionary because they have different tracks of ministry there and absolutely yeah. yeah i wasn't attracted to the kid thing at all i'm not I'm not good with kids, but I was like, I would love to learn about church planning. So I went for it. So mm-hmm. you, you're 24 years old. You mm-hmm. raised some support, mm-hmm. and you're off to India. Yes. Tell us about your time, maybe your first year in India. You went two years. Mm-hmm. Okay, so tell us how that all went down. Sure. Um, so International Mission Board is called, it's short for IMB. David Platt is the president. And when David Platt was elevated as the president, he set out to get the company out of debt. And so he gave them a, he gave the entire company a a deal per se that if you pray and don't feel like the Lord really wants you on the field, then we're going to do early retirement. And then to uh, fill those gaps in, we're going to create avenues to where we don't necessarily send people financially, but we put people on our teams. We open up our resources, like Bibles and that type of thing. Um, and so everything from, like, students to retirees to people like me who were working as a teacher for the missionaries, associated with the missionaries, underneath their leadership, but I'm not sent by them in, like, a paper pen financial way. And so I, I called people who I, I knew loved the Lord in my network, my parents' friends, my own friends, told them about the vision, um, raised the money I needed for one year, and then went. 
And when I got there, of course, we had the school, which is about three to four hours each day, but we followed a homeschool program, and it was super simple. Um, so that, that, was, that was kind of an easy part of my day. But then outside of that, they, the missionaries we were working with found a lady for me who had a heart for evangelism, and they had been training and discipling her for some time. And they said, Paige, we think you should partner up with this lady. She has a heart for the red light district, which is where prostitutes are sold. And um, we think that you should go and work with her. So I met her, and I can remember the first day I met her, she said, the church is not doing anything. We need to go out and share the gospel. And I was like, this is my woman. And so loved her, immediately connected with her in a personality and um, spiritual way. And that's what we did. We would go into the red light district. We would walk up to the prostitutes or whoever was standing there and just say, hey, we're walking around praying for people. Is there any way we could pray for you? And if they received prayer, we'd pray for them. And then when we were done, we'd say, hey, do you mind if we tell you a story about God? And usually they'd say, sure. And so I can remember Indians even... Indians like gods. They do. Yeah, it's yeah. a whole Hindu thing. There's, Absolutely. They're all about prayer and gods. Mm-hmm. So talking about spiritual things is not difficult, but getting them to submit to Jesus as the only Lord um, sometimes is. So, But if the Spirit moves, He moves, and there's no going back, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so that's what we did. We said, can we pray for you? Can we tell a story? If people would listen to the story, we would follow up with, do you want to follow Jesus? Do you want to learn more about Jesus? And if people said yes, then we would start a Bible study in their room. And so we had several Bible studies in the red light going. We were going there weekly a few, t- a few to three to four times a week and following up with these ladies who, who were, um, interested to know about Jesus. And so we, um, we saw a few people come to know the Lord. There's actually families that live in the red light. And so, like, men will live there with their wives and sell their wives. And so we saw a man and his wife come to know the Lord, helped him start a small business so that his wife wouldn't have to sell her body. And then we saw another prostitute um, decide to give her life to Jesus, and she moved out and moved in with my national partner um, for some time. But towards the end of that year, some of the ladies that we were working with started getting beat up um, because they were associated with us, and the authorities in that area were nervous that um, they are going to lose their money, just like Acts, what is it, Acts um, 16, where Paul casted out that demon. They were super ticked because they just lost their source of yeah. income. So it's exact same situation. So we needed to pull back from that ministry, but like I said, it was the end of the year. Um, so just to backtrack, the middle of that year, I um, I started really feeling like this wasn't just a, an experience. This wasn't just me wanting to see what it's like overseas in a vision trip and let me see if this is God. But I started feeling like this is potentially like what I'm made for and my, my long-term calling is to the unreached and unengaged. So I just opened my hands to God and, and said, you know, what what would this look like for me? And opened my hands to my leaders and said, are there potentials for me to do this with you guys, not just as a teacher, but as a full-time focused strategic missionary? And they said yes and connected me to their leaders at the time, which um, their names were Carrie and Nathan Shank. And Carrie and Nathan live in Nepal. They're the ones that developed the four-field church planning tool. And um, and so uh, they invited me to come work with them in Nepal, but said I needed a partner. 
And so towards the end of the year, I still hadn't found anybody, like another another female that would focus in, on the people group with me um, along with a team. In Nepal. Mm -hmm. yeah. In Nepal. Um, I was still in India at the time. I hadn't found anybody that would go with me that next year. And so Carrie, the lady in Nepal, said, hey, Paige, why don't you stay put in India for another year, continue to work with Manju is her name, develop her as a leader, and then that'll give you time to prepare and find a partner for Nepal so you can come in 2017. And so I said, I love that idea. Came home last summer and uh, raised support, this time monthly support, um, instead of like one lump sums, because I planned to be there long term. And then went back this year to work with Manju, and we pretty much did the exact same thing. We worked geographically. We would go into areas, um, oh, excuse me, over the summer while I was gone, she started connecting with different Christians she knew and training them and some of the stuff I had taught her and found about 12 faithful women who were going out, sharing the gospel, obeying what she was teaching them. And um, so when I got back, I was working with that community of women as they were leading people to Christ. And so we were going into communities starting conversations, sharing the gospel. For the people that were interested, we would follow up with them. We would form them into communities, um, and we would teach them to do the same if they started following Jesus. So that's what I did this past year. It's mm -hmm. fascinating to me you talk about, and then churches are born out of that, mm -hmm. and then men come too, mm -hmm. and you're kind of in this odd, like you have these biblical convictions, and mm -hmm. yet you're on the front lines giving people the gospel and they're coming to Christ. So what do we do? I'm not the pastor, yeah, but yeah, I don't absolutely. have a pastor. Yeah, absolutely. So how, do, how has that, mm -hmm. you've even seen God kind of move mm -hmm. in to raise up elders and things like that. Yeah. So when I say communities, I mean churches. Um, so for an example, Manju started training a lady named Depika, and Depika started sharing with all her neighbors the gospel. She was a brand new Christian, but she hadn't found a church. And so when she met Manju, Manju started training her. And she led like a few handfuls of her neighbors to Christ. And so she started meeting with them as a Bible study. And Manju came to me and said, can we, can we identify as a church? And I, I looked in scripture, saw that it was biblical, talked to my leaders within IMV. Um, and they said, you need to do it with the intention to raise up male leadership. And so um, I considered myself and Manju the church planters. We started the community with the intention to see leadership rise from within, just like Paul went into places like Lystra and Derby, would, would form communities, go back within, you know, sometimes like six months to a year. And it says he appointed elders in those churches um, within, within six months to a year. And so um, we had a few men in, in our congregation we would go through the elder study with them and say, is this something you aspire to? Is this something that you could see yourself doing? These are the, the qualifications of character. And if you don't feel like you meet them, but you aspire to serve God in this way, you need to be praying that these, these character um, traits would be formed in you. And so one guy in particular within that group really was just a, an immediate leader um, functioning really as a pastor without being appointed as one. And so towards the end of the year, I connected him with another IMB missionary, him and his wife, Chad and Krista Helmer. And Chad started discipling this man named Akil as he grows in character and grows in understanding of the Word of God. Um, he is aspiring and planning to step up as elder of that church. So I started it. 
I laid the foundation for an elder to be appointed, but I myself didn't lead the church um, or consider myself a pastor. Well, I just think it's wonderful how God is using, I mean, you said this band of 12 women Mm -hmm. with Manju, right? Mm -hmm. And I just... Yeah, they're wild. Praise God. In the right way. (laughs) So your two years in India is up. Now what are you doing? Okay, so my plan was to be in India for two years, I mean, for another year, two years in total, and then transition straight to Nepal. I was like, let's go, Jesus. And then probably around February, I started sensing this pull in my spirit, just kind of this, there's something not right, seeking the Lord on that, and felt like he was leading me to come back to the States, Um, which is a funny story how he spoke that over me, but I I knew that he was telling me to do that, let's put it like that. So I came here and really just thought, this is a two to three month pit stop and then I'm headed out. I had a partner, I had my funds, I had the invitation. Everything was set up besides my heart and maybe what God was trying to say. And so once again, same unrest. God, like, why do I I feel like this? There's something not right. And um, there was a few things that God used to, to say, like, stay put. It's not time to leave. One was, uh, the story of Jesus and Peter, where he said, put your net down. And Jesus, and Peter's like, I've been fishing all night, and what you're telling me to do doesn't make any sense. Um, but I'll do it because you said so. And something tugged at my heart, and it's like, well, me staying doesn't make sense, but I kind of feel like that's maybe what you're telling me to do. So I felt like that. And then God also spoke through Psalm 23. Um, you know, I, I make you lie down in green pastures, and I lead you beside still waters. And so I moved forward in faith, and I was like, okay, God, I will stay here until the end of the year, and then we should go, because that's what makes sense. And if I stayed any longer than that, it wouldn't make sense. And those words were the conversation I was having with God. That's, that's how I was speaking to him, was this doesn't make sense. And there was a series of events. Um, one was a few days after where I was listening to a sermon, and the speaker said that God challenged them to do something with their finances, and looked at the camera, and they are like, Sometimes God tells us to do things that don't make sense. And I was like, hmm, that's interesting. But I didn't want to be superstitious. And so I was like, that that was just a coincidence. But then that same night, my mom came and she had brought me back these two really cute bookmarks from Nashville. And one was about courage and one was about trust. And the one that said, trust is oftentimes something that doesn't make sense. And it's just, again, kind of like, that's interesting. But I was still a little bit like, but I don't want to be superstitious, so I'm going to move forward. <laughs> and, um, and then that Monday, I talked to my supervisor in Nepal who's mentoring me right now. And uh, she said, you know, I see what you see, but God speaks through his word. And he said, if this is really his voice, he'll speak through his word. And I was like, amen, sister. He will speak through his word. That wasn't him. And move forward. And then three days after that, It was a book. I was reading a book, but he was paraphrasing that same story of Jesus and Peter. And the author literally said, Jesus is Steve Addison's book. Jesus was telling Peter to do something that didn't make sense. And so I was just like, hands off. Like, what are you doing? And then the next day, the the pastor preached on that passage in Scripture. And so the situation is that I want to be over there. I want to. I want to. St- my hands and my heart to be fully there, um, but it is very clear that that God has me here for some time, and I don't know if He's just testing my faith, like put Isaac on the altar, but snap, you know, there's a ram. You can go. Let's hope that's what it is. December comes around. He's like, go, girl. 
But for right now, I know that I have to stay here. Um, and I don't, I don't know what the outcome is going to be. But I know that full surrender to Jesus leads to life. And so no matter how hard and confusing and doesn't make sense-ish it is, I'm trusting in faith that this will reap joy. So I'm here for now. I have everything I need to go to Nepal, want to go to Nepal. Um, but God's, God's up to something. So, yeah. We hope that you get to go too. Yes. And uh, we're going to pray to that end. But in the meantime, mm-hmm. God has led you to be thinking toward, okay, mm. well, if I do want to go, mm. I'm not just going to go alone. So I need, mm-hmm. a, I need to gather a team, mm-hmm. and that functions in various ways. Mm-hmm. And one in particular, there's a new MIT here at the church mm-hmm. uh, supporting unreached, unengaged people groups. Mm-hmm. And someone asked you, uh, what is the most important thing mm-hmm. that we can do? And you said pray. Mm-hmm. So why don't you tell us, flesh that out a little bit. Yeah. And um, kind of your vision, your plan. Sure. So um, I'm so I'm so action oriented. Let me just preface this with this. I'm so action oriented. I don't want to sit in a room and pray. I want to go out there and talk to people. I want to get the job done. And when I left for India this summer, my heart was so broken that um, my people weren't going to be okay. But I knew that where I was, I, I knew that I was where I wanted to be. But man, that those feelings and that pain and that worry, you know, Paul expresses you know, his concern for the churches so much that he even says he has anxiety over the churches. And we're like, doesn't God say not to have anxiety? So, mm-hmm. but I felt that. And, um, and so man, my prayer got loud and got rowdy, like you protect them and you, and just me kind of being graciously and mercifully forced into a place where I had to experience new levels of prayer have developed such a deep conviction of like, if we're going to do anything with our time, we need to be on our knees. Like there has never been a movement in history, never where it didn't start first with deep fasting and prayer. And so there, there are a handful of unreached, unengaged people groups in India and not one of them is going to be reached with the gospel unless large amounts of people are praying. Um, and God says it and, he says it in Isaiah 45. To, he's prophesying to Israel, and he says, I want to give you the hordes and secrets of darkness, but you must know that I am the Lord. Mm-hmm. And so these are hordes of darkness. These are people that have literally been worshiping demons, probably actual manifestation of demons for hundreds to thousands of years, and um, have been locked in ancestor worship and all sorts of folk religion. And um, it, it, Satan's not going to give them up without a battle. And so my plan is to have 30 teams um, of prayer warriors. A team could be one. It could be 10 um, that, that fast and pray once a month. And so that means that somebody's fasting and praying every day. So 30 to 31 teams. Uh, and so I'm looking for people that want to join in, in this fight against Satan that want to see these unreached, unengaged people groups in, in, in Nepal be reached. Um, and I would love for any and everybody in this room to ask God and say, God, is that me? Am I one of those people that's going to fight for these these souls that haven't heard about Jesus? And so if that's you, then I guess we'll send out an email with my information, and you can contact me by phone or by email. Um, and I'll, I'll explain a little bit more to you. But like I said, one day a month, fasting and prayer, um, you get a few people to do it with you. And then that day, I'd just be sending you what you should be praying for. And while I'm in the States, I'd come pray with you too if you'd let me. Um, 
So that's that's my plan and that's my need. So I think it was William Carey that said um, mm. hold how we can hold the rope. Mm -hmm. um, this phrase hold the rope because a lot of times you know when it comes to missions and thinking about un unreached, unengaged people who just have rejected Christ. We find ourselves slap dab in the middle of the Bible Belt where mm. every person we talk to about the gospel is going to say, yeah, I've got some sort of faith. Yeah, I've mm. got. And so, I mean, this is on the opposite end of the spectrum. So sometimes I think we can operate out of some guilt when we hear things like this. Right. And so mm. I think this is an awesome way mm. um, for us to hold the rope, mm. you guys. And we can pray mm -hmm. and beg God to save because, you know, I'm thinking Revelation chapter seven. I mean, I, I believe that every one of these unreached, un, unengaged people groups are going to mm -hmm. be, there's going to be somebody there. There's going to be people represented from those, those people groups mm. worshiping Jesus. Mm -hmm. And so that's, that's a way we can participate. Mm -hmm. Yes, we have jobs. Yes, we have responsibilities mm -hmm. here, but we can hold the rope, mm -hmm. right? And then partner with Paige. And anyway, so I just think yeah. it's an amazing opportunity. I would like to say one thing, just to leave you with a vision for prayer one of the ladies who led tons of people to Christ while I was there had a lost husband. And we shared with him all year. We did Bible studies with him all year. He saw the way we worship God. He saw, he saw everything left and right, and he would not come to Christ. And when, when I came home and started praying, I mean, I was praying morning, afternoon, and night because my heart was so burdened. And I, it wasn't me at all because, I'm like I said, I'm not like that. But um, two weeks after I got here, Two weeks after I've been praying that hard, she called me and said, my husband just committed his life to the Lord. Amen. It's just like one year of trying with my own mouth and then two weeks of calling on his and it changed. Mm -hmm. And so prayer really is what he says it is, you know? Mm -hmm. Amen. Amen. <laughs> Amen. Yeah. Get a That's little good. Southern Baptist in here. <laughs> hey, you know. Can, You're can, so right. I appreciate that. Yeah, that's right. He is a Southern Baptist. Um, but there will not be a significant movement of God without God's people praying. And you could say, well, God is sovereign. And yes, he is. And he has appointed means. And the means are his people telling and his people utterly depending on him in prayer. And so I'm so thankful for what you're doing. We're all encouraged and challenged. And uh, I, I expect that you will have uh, prayer support coming out of this room. So can I pray for you now? Oh, yeah. Our Father in heaven, you are God and there is no other. Our God reigns. Lord, there are all of these false gods and so many concentrated in India, mm -hmm. in Nepal. Mm -hmm. Lord, these people have been held captive at uh, Satan's devices. But we know that he is defeated. We know, Lord Jesus, that you have broken the chains and we pray that you would open their eyes we pray that you would give them hearts to respond to you we pray that your kingdom would come and your will be done on earth in india and in nepal in pakistan all the surrounding areas lord as it is in heaven for every unreached people group for every unengaged people group and lord we pray especially for our sister page we are so thankful and encouraged at what you've done in her life it's, it's an amazing story in and of itself just that she's a Christian. And yet, Lord, thank you for including her in your work. Thank you for the good works that you've prepared for her that she's walking in. Thank you for 
Manju and, mm-hmm. and the many sisters in India, and we pray for them now. Would you give them courage, give them faith, give them strength, give them peace, give them boldness to proclaim the gospel. Mm-hmm. We do pray that you would lay, raise up leadership for these local churches, for this man who has come to Christ and mm-hmm. displaying these gifts. Would you, would you give him grace upon grace mm-hmm. to lead with courage and faith? Lord, would you provide the support that Paige is needed? And we pray with her that you would send her to Nepal. Mm-hmm. We pray, Lord, that it would be much sooner than, than she might think. And uh, we pray that from this room and beyond that you would gather more support than she even knows how to ask for. Of course, financial support, but Lord, prayer support, that, that we would all participate in what you're doing. So we commit her to your care, and we ask, would you pour out your Holy Spirit you are able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think. We commit it to your care and ask that you would make yourself known in Christ's name. Amen. Hey, can I make one announcement for young adults? Um, just a reminder also that um, we're starting a grace group at Alexis's house on Monday night at 7. So if you're interested in plugging into one, Alexis is right back there. Let her know. And also, um, Paige, can you, if you'll be up here, if you might want to come talk to Paige and just talk about how you can partner with you. Um, that'd be awesome. So how about a hand for Paige? Yep. All right. Church in 15 minutes. <clears throat>